So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Hello everyone and welcome into another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast, episode 76, coming at you today. We've got myself, Archie, here, as well as Leo and Toby joining me in what was another bit of an unexpected week uh, in Super Rugby. Um, Lots of different results to what we expected and a few um, low scores on the tipping, I have to say. Um, Make sure you guys are following us on social media at Instagram at Running Rugby Podcast and on Twitter at Running Rugby Pod. Um, but everything seems to be changing up, whether it's in the world with coronavirus going around, no one knows what's going on. No one seemed to know what was going on this week, boys, with the tipping. Um, I think the top, top tipper was Wesley, wasn't it? Um, who's, who's sat at the bottom of the table for, for quite a few weeks, um, managed to climb up to the top. Yeah, but what was encouraging for me, mate, was the Rebels and Waratahs actually got a couple of wins on the board there. It's, um, it's unusual to see. And another win in New Zealand, which was pretty huge, I thought. Yeah, that was a good win by the, the Rebels. They they kept it together. They had Tamua coming back in. And, and after we thought Andrew Deegan had uh, shown a lot of promise and we were going to be disappointed by him getting relegated to the bench, uh, Tamua definitely stepped up and... Big game, big big win down in Dunedin. That doesn't happen very often, even for the New Zealand teams winning down there against the Highlanders. It's a great effort. Yeah, it was really strange to have a Friday night with two Australian wins on the board. Um, and obviously, like you say, Tobes, like Tars getting that first win, breaking through against the Lions, as well as breaking through at Bank West Stadium, um, getting rid of that hoodoo. Um, and while the Highlanders aren't the team that they once were, um, as you say, getting getting over the line in Dunedin and actually showing that you can finish off after starting hot from the Rebels, but put another bit of murkiness out um, in terms of Wallaby selections. Uh, but we are doing our deep dive into the other Australian game this week, and that was the Reds and Sharks, which was a bit of a different story there on Saturday night. But I'll just run through the, the scores of the rest of the round. So as you heard, Rebels took down the Highlanders 28-22, to Waratahs breaking through, beating the Lions 29-17. The Hurricanes continuing uh, dominant display over a, a week in Sunwolves' team, 62-15. to um, The Stormers, that's probably a big thing we should mention. The last undefeated team in Super Rugby losing to the Blues at home in Cape Town, 33-14. And the Blues looking like they might be here to make a statement in 2020, um, while the Bulls continue to be the only uh, team without a win in Super Rugby 2020, losing to the Haguaris 39-24. Any other comments on those games, guys, before we get to our uh, deep dive? Yeah, big win for the Blues. That's uh, knocking over the undefeated Stormers. I definitely didn't tip that. I got a lot of things wrong this week, so no surprises that I got that one wrong. 
Um, but great effort for them. They're finally finally finding some form. Archie, you had anything to do with this being in Auckland? An extra extra important member there, cheering him on, giving him a bit of advice. Um, I have engaged my um, consultant services with the Blues, it, it has to be said. Um, they're yet to pick up the actual contract or um, they've sort of left, left me on unread on a lot of my messages that I've sent them. But look, a boy can dream. But I, like I said last week, the Stormers just don't hit me as a team that's going to be undefeated and topping the, the competition. They're just not quite there. I still think they'll have the the measure of most of their South African opponents. But after a, a really physical performance by the Sharks against uh, my my heart tip Reds, um, I guess I, I'm probably a little, maybe a little bit more in Toby's camp than I was last week, thinking the Sharks are going to be a force to be reckoned with. Uh, the But yeah, just to finish, the, the Blues, like, it's really great to see that franchise having a strong start to the season. They're, they're holding their own against the other New Zealand teams uh, in the conference. There's a three-way tie there for second, I think, in on, on points at least early in the season. So good for them to be winning away. And the Storms will continue their matchups against against opponents in South Africa. And I think they're, they're facing the Sharks pretty soon anyway. So they need to smarten up and, and get ready for that physicality. You mentioned it there, and let's let's get into this deep dive. I mean, thirty-three to twenty-three, the Reds going down to the Sharks at home, unable to put the second win on the board. Um, a few concerns over some set piece, a few injury concerns, and I got to say, I, bl- I blame you, Toby, because you put the mocker on him last week. You you said maybe it was a slip of the tongue, but you said the Sharks have already won three out of four on tour, and then look comes through. Um, Unfortunately, you didn't manage to tip that. You still took took the Reds in the end. But what did you know? How did you know the Sharks team was just going to take them down? I just think they had the momentum, mate. And I think that the Reds, again, we talked about, I think that they didn't want to get ahead of themselves. But I think they might have a little bit with that result against the Sunwolves. It did give them a lot of confidence. I think it probably showed a way that they can play in terms of being expansive. But... With the way that the Sharks were up front and the amount of dominance they had at the ruck, at the line-out, I think the Reds maybe went away from how they naturally play um, and really probably lost that edge in the physicality stakes, um, in the set piece. They just weren't as dominant as they usually are. And I think by losing those basics, they weren't able to get that ascendancy that you'd normally see. And therefore, they they weren't able to really create enough opportunities against a, a pretty um, a pretty solid Sharks outfit that, who knows, man. I mean, the the conference at the moment in South Africa, there are a few teams. There's obviously the Jaguaros, Stormers there that are really pushing ahead. But the Sharks, even though they've lost some of their, their forwards from last year, I think this back line's still very dangerous. And defensively, they've been impressive. So three out of four on tour. I mean, Australasian tour, that's always really tough. And... They're looking hot. They're looking impressive. Why does this defensive structure work so well? We've seen other teams implement defensive, the rush sort of defense, and it always seems like teams are able to get around them, turn them around, do something, go back on the inside balls and get through them, but it doesn't seem to be happening with the Sharks team. Like They're consistently putting on big hits, shutting down players, putting people under pressure and forcing mistakes. I think you just got to be accurate, don't you? If you're not, like, you will not get the results. You will get exposed out wide. People will go around you. You know, 
there'll be those kind of looping cutout passes that'll you know if someone rushes up too much you'll get mm. around them on the edges there so it does take a team that's playing for each other and that's playing in unity and has a good understanding of their defensive structures and i just think they've they've been well coached in that area i think the reds had had an ex- there was an example where they scored i think it was the henry spate try where james o'connor handled the ball a couple of times wrapped around um, the commentators for once actually i think broke it down reasonably well that he he got involved first up and then he hovered I think it was Jock Campbell was was the one who made the offload to O'Connor on the outside, but yeah. he hovered inside uh, Jock Campbell inside that line, and once he saw the defence come in a bit and he, he timed it well with what was happening with Jock Campbell getting tackled, he looped around and drew that last man and offloaded the ball to Spade, and that that was a pretty classy bit of play from that from that Reds back line, which you're not going to pull off every time, but that's the formula that you you put that. Uh, direct runner up first, absorb the rush defence, but then look to turn uh, turn the quick ball through and get it out wide with successive phases. So I think the, the counter to the quick line speed is to draw in enough of one uh, side of their defence and then get the quick ball to then force the the numbers advantage. Mm-hmm. And then you've just got to make the, make the passes at the right time having committed the players. So the Reds showed how to do that at that point. Uh, unfortunately, they didn't really replicate that. And I, I honestly think losing O'Connor probably made a big difference in that. It, they lost him uh, in the second half quite early. And that, that just meant that they had Isaac Lucas come in, who was maybe looking for a few more little darting runs himself. Um, maybe didn't quite orchestrate the rest of the back line that well. It felt like we didn't see as many storming runs from... Uh, Paisami and and the ball didn't get out to the wings quite as often, so they they sort of lost their ability maybe to or their coordination to to pull off the same type of move and and overcome what was a very very strong and very physical Sharks defense with guys like Esther Heisen monstering Hamish Stewart. Uh, to his credit, he, he wore the hits and he put on some himself. But you know those guys up in your face if you if you can't then turn quick ball uh, out of those, then I don't know how much opportunity to get out of the Sharks. Two very physical forward backs here and I just I just didn't see that spark maybe that the Reds were showing in the last couple of games that they've had. Um, I think it comes down just the fact that the, the Sharks are classy across the park, even though maybe there's some names that we don't recognise as fondly in that forward pack. They're big guys and they, they seem to match up really well with the Reds. Um but I think, yeah, losing O'Connor definitely made the difference in the second half. And we've got to remember, this this game was really tit for tat until maybe the 60th or 70th minute. And the Reds, in the end, only lost by 10. I know there was that late try. How about the injury time, though, in this one? I mean, pretty insane. I've, I haven't seen a game eight, go eight that long. minutes or so? It was almost... Yeah, uh, they the... almost, almost played a 90-minute soccer yeah. game. I mean, impressive with their attitude as well, that the Reds just... They couldn't win the game, but they were still pressing. They still wanted to, mm. to score that last try, and nothing really was going to get in the way of them doing that. And I think, um, you know, it speaks well to the attitude. I think, Liam, right again, Lee, you, you were saying over text, like, this guy, he really is impressive the way he's conducting himself and holds himself so well in press conferences. Um, just seems to bring such a positive attitude to the team. Yeah, he was really eloquent. After the match, he, he spoke that it wasn't the type of rugby that 
they were trying to play, which um, I personally I think that's probably a little bit harsh on themselves. Like they weren't that far uh, off off their intent most of the game. Um, there was maybe just a bit of polish and and some inaccuracies around the ruck where the Sharks were particularly good, very physical and very direct and committing the right number of men and, and maybe even slowing the ball down, a few bodies lying around the ruck and, and just making it tricky to get that quick ball that the Reds needed. So he, he sort of said, oh, look, we, that's not us. You know, sorry to the fans. Thanks for sticking around. Maybe being a bit um, overly critical of them. But he, but he just speaks really well. He doesn't just say, oh, that was a bad game. We'll put that one behind us. We'll go back to the drawing board. You don't get the just the um, standard stereotype losing side commentary out of him. He, he sort of analysed them and, and spoke about their game plan. Is maybe even a little bit more open about what they'd been trying to do than a lot of teams are because they don't want to give away necessarily what their strategy and tactics are supposed yeah. to be. I um, noticed that as well, actually, Yeah. in terms of going and, into to detail about how they were going to kick in behind them and then put them back in their half and, and right. make them play a bit of footy. Um, makes Brad Thorne seem a little bit bland, doesn't it, in, in his comments, given the way that Brad Thorne's very straightforward and simple in what he says. Yeah, but he, he also doesn't want to give anything away. I'm sure there's more depth behind um, the scenes there with, with what Brad Thorne's pushing on his guys. I like that they're a bit more open. Um, the The... I suppose the success they had the previous week, whether I, I don't know if I agree if it was so much they uh, had high expectations and kind of got a bit carried away with how well the previous week went. If anything, they probably showcased a lot of their potential and their and their tactics to a degree in a fairly open opportunity for 80 minutes to attack the Sunwolves. And I think the Sharks probably did their homework. You know, they're on tour. It's the last game of their tour. They're worn out, but they they definitely prepared for what the Reds can bring and they shut that down really effectively uh they they maybe got a little bit of the rub of the rucks they disrupted the reds line out which i think looked a bit shaky without angus blythe um a bit of a, a fresh again second row mix in there they've, they've had a bit of change it's probably the part of their front front eight that's um changed the most so far this season uh just a few of those things didn't quite add up for the reds and as we said it was a close game so those things you know, I'm the optimist for this team. The those things, you know, change a bit. You know, a few more 50-50 calls. Refs a bit tougher on the rucks where there's a few bodies lying around. You're not getting any advantage for slow ball. The score line was was probably about right, but it definitely could have swung in the Reds' favour under different circumstances. See, you'd say like, oh, maybe they got a bit of the harsh calls or anything. Like, the Sharks had 16 penalties against them to nine for the Reds. Like. They yeah, but were... what were they for? A lot of those were scrum penalties. I'd... Early on, the the all Sharks I know is that dominated. if you have almost double the amount of penalties as your opponent, surely you should be converting those into a few more points. And the lineout was inaccurate. Is that just Angus Blythe? Is it not having Salakai Lotto on the field, or is it Alex Murphy just having an off throwing game, or is it the fact that uh, Jock Campbell is not a Super rugby level yeah. goal kicker. Um, yeah, I agree. That's what and I And he's now being put in a position where um, he's affecting the amount of points or just maybe just the momentum that his team's getting um, just from. I find, I find it a bit strange when, you know, O'Connor is a pretty well known. He can, he can kick as a goal kicker. He's been 
in the past he's been their goal kicker. Stewart, of course, can goal kick. You have um, obviously Bryce Hegarty generally that's, yeah. that's there available. But they've selected Jock Campbell a couple of times to be taking the responsibility. He's consistently missing kicks and leaving, even against the Sunwolves, leaving quite a few points out there. So um, I think that's definitely an issue that needs to be addressed. I, I'm still unsure what the best makeup of this backline is, but you know, having someone like Dalgunu back in might be be a good move. Um, but most of the guys that have actually stepped up with their opportunity have, have made the most of it. So it is difficult once you have Hegarty back in the mix, Isaac Lucas, Dalgunu, um, and that's not even you know discussing the fact that Jordan Patay is missing. So Pasami is probably going to keep his place there at 13, but. There's quite a few options in the back line. Um, but I think Arch, like you said, missing Blythe and also Angus Salakai-Loto probably changed the dynamic of that forward pack. I'm not sure Hawkins and Scott Young are probably as good of players as those two. Um, but still, I think strange, Murphy's strange throwing that did have something to do with was, it as well. Hawkins was like touted as like the next big thing for quite a while. And has Blythe, now, Blythe just sort of Blythe's overtaken him this year? I think Blythe is just a like a bigger frame, like a, a more filled out frame. He's obviously not quite as tall and gangly. His body height's better in contact. Hawkins is still a bit, a bit awkward and, and high in contact. Is um, Blythe just like young help. Brad Thorne or something? Oh, it's probably what he's modeling his game on. Like between him and Rodder, they're, they're both pretty hard nosed. They don't tend to take too many backward steps. Pretty direct. Hawkins, Hawkins looks like he's putting in, but maybe he's just a bit, you know, he's, he's got a bit of extra height, not quite enough weight on the frame and and just is able to be kind of bent back and, and taken from the advantage, from the gain line, pushed back. Like, he just didn't seem to have the penetration that those guys do when he's hitting up the ball. And he, and he definitely wasn't effective every time he went into the ruck. He, he tended to, again, go over the top of these guys that I, I, I saw as lying on the ball a bit too much. I thought the refereeing both ways could have been... A, you know, a bit more firm. Like it just felt like the the game was being slowed down enough that both sides probably could have had a bit more penalty advantage to to play with. We didn't see a lot of penalty advantage for them to open up and and have a go um, because and and just because it wasn't being called that way, it was being allowed to be slowed. Um, so not to say that the Reds deserved more penalties in isolation. Like both teams probably could have been penalised more. Um, but when you have like the line-out from the Reds was poor. So it wasn't so much that they were getting penalised, they were just throwing the ball away. The ruck, uh, sorry, the scrums were fairly strongly the Reds until they brought their subs on, and that's where they gained a fair few penalties. I think there was room in general play for there to be a couple more penalties. Um, you know, the what was the one for that, that high tackle that was... Um, was it Lukanyu Arm? Basically fell into Paisami? Yeah. And and that, they gave that a penalty and turned it around. Like, I mean that that's an example of I thought I, I didn't think that was right. What did you guys think about that one? Well, difficult for Parsimony to make a high tackle when he's only five foot eight. He's not a big guy, and he like, was very low. Get pretty low on someone. He was already yeah. very low, and yeah. Lacanyam clearly fell into him. Like, I, I'm not quite sure. I understand it's that's contact the to the, the law, head. That's the way the law is written. It's on the tackle. There should yeah. be some consideration for the level, like the body height of the actually attacking player, because we saw, it, like last week, I think, with the 
across the ruck there where there were two guys basically head clashing at, at a very low level and they're still saying, well, you've got to get your body height down. It's like you're going to be at his ankles. There's actually like... And then you're going to get penalised no for a get that low. Yeah. Yeah, so no, that, there needs to so be a middle ground well. with that. If you look at it and see the attacker has dropped his body height significantly into a tackle and the defender catches him slightly high, well, I think that probably... Um, really mitigates a yellow card being used, um, but they're yet to actually implement that at all. So take me through, you. we've said there's a bit of, you're a bit worried about some of the selection for the Reds. Take me through um, your optimum team for this and include in who you want as your goal kicker and things as well. True. Well, I think I keep the front row as is. I'm really happy with J.P. Smith, Murphy, and Tupa. I think that's, you know, yep. they're great around the field, um, good aggression, and also fantastic in the scrum. Um, I'd have Rodder, and I would have Angus Blythe based on form in the second row there. Yeah, I like Salakai Loto a bit looser at six, um, and also a great option in the lineout. Harry Wilson, I think, selects himself. Yeah. Um, he's been fantastic this year as a rookie. Unfortunately, and you got a bad the head clash in that game. Yeah, yeah, let's hope he's all right as well. He he looked okay. He looked a bit shaken, and, and then was frustrated that he didn't get back on the field. But yeah. um, I'm sure he'll be back stronger than ever. Um, and then for to round out my forwards, obviously Liam Wright there at seven. I think Fraser McWright is still being outplayed by Liam Wright pretty pretty easily. Um, but it's nice to have that that fullback option on the bench. So that would be my best forward pack for the Reds, I think, so far for 2020. Yeah, for forwards, I'd, I'd more or less match that. I'd, I don't know I don't know about Luke Hahn. I don't know if I'd keep um, Angus Scott Young in at six. I think it you depends. You are his with, biggest fan. Mr. Handsome Scott Young, of course. Um, I, I think it depends. I don't like the um, horses for courses selections style. Like I don't think you should dramatically change your team to suit the, what you think the opposition is strong at, or um, you know, unless it's very, very extreme. I don't think that tends to work. I think you're better off sticking with your 15 and just trusting that your strategies will work against anyone. But um, at the moment, have I seen enough from Lucan? I'd, if Angus Blythe wasn't available, I'd be putting Lucan in the second row, and I'd be keeping Angus Scott Young at six. So that's probably the only variance there. I, I, for a full-strength team, I think Lucan's off my bench with someone like Fraser McWright. Um, yeah, that, that's how I'd play it as well. Uh, in terms of the backs, we move in that way, then obviously Tate McDermott's been the standout scrum half. He's playing really well. He's scored four, uh, four, four tries in yep. four consecutive games. I think he's actually scored five tries in yeah, he got across those four games. Two weeks ago. Yeah, so he's he's having a great season. He's a, he's a great young talent. Want to see more of him? Uh, I do think James O'Connor has has cemented the strongest grasp on the on the ten role. Uh, he's got that relative seniority and experience compared to most of the other guys in the side. So um, you know, obviously Hegarty had a bit of that role previously, but James O'Connor brings that international edge and and the Wallabies um, experience as well. So I, I like him there. He is playing very well as we saw before he got injured. My centres, I would say, again, I, we talked them up last week. I would, I would keep them as is. Hamish Stewart and Duncan Paisami for, for the moment. Duncan Paisami. Uh, I keep saying Duncan, don't I? It's not Duncan Payawa. It's Hunter Paisami. 
<laughs> we'll get it right Duncan eventually. The so I'm very sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, look, I think they're, I think they're a, still a good combination. Remembering this team is developing. There isn't a quick fix where you swap them around in my mind. I'm, I'm happy with those two. I think uh, Hamish Stewart is stepping up against, you know, big opposition like Esterheisen, um, showing no fear, running the ball, like, you know, hitting it up like a traditional 12 with no fear. He might not be penetrating as much as some of the bigger, more experienced guys, but I like the intent. Um, I think I'm more of a fan of Jock Campbell on the wing, to be honest. I like when he gets in space and he's and he's running the ball in the open. Um, but I think I'd be more comfortable at the moment, probably with Hegarty at the back, which brings in Hegarty's kicking, which I'll take. And I would have, uh, I would keep Henry Spate on the other wing. I think Henry Spate's playing a, a great season so far for the Reds. He's he's definitely brought his his best late late career form. Yeah, your inside four, I would agree with um, centres and, and playmakers there. I think Spate, like you say, best left winger they have. I still, like, I'm, I find it difficult now to leave Jock Campbell out, and I was never his biggest fan last year. I didn't see probably what you were seeing, Leo, but um, it's hard to deny him now, isn't it? And having Isaac Lucas, I would love to see him start at 15. Um, but then on the other wing, Chris Feiwai Sotia. He has been doing a lot of good things as well. So, I mean, maybe he's the unlucky one and you push Jock Campbell to the, the right wing there and you bring in Isaac Lucas at fullback. I think this team can do without Bryce Hegarty, but, um, you know, he is a very calm head, a veteran, a guy that create, like controls the play quite well. So maybe it is a good good person to have at the back there, but I'd prefer maybe to have someone like Isaac Lucas who's really going to open up the field. I can understand that as long as I think Hegarty has a position maybe in the 23 then because you do tend you, you kind of end up with no seniority, no experience, older head to calm the guys if, if someone like O'Connor goes off. Um, so assuming in your team O'Connor's doing the kicking, is he? Yeah, I'd, I'd, take, I'd probably take O'Connor. I think he does have the, the skill set to do that. Um, whether this is just... Are they having a kicking competition at training or is this, you know, someone putting their hand up to actually take the job? I'm not sure. Maybe O'Connor's got enough on his plate already at 10. That's um, what I was thinking. to take He's... on added responsibility. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I just don't know how these things are decided. For so long, Hamish Stewart was kicking. Um, and, yeah, I'd, I don't like when teams tend to share it around too much. I just think they need some continuity there and, if someone's had an off game, maybe stick with them for a couple more. But I don't think Jock Campbell's the answer, to be honest. Can I pitch something to you? It's probably a bit too much big of a change to make this early. Um, but despite Hamish Stewart being impressive at 12, where we saw the Reds really dominate last year was with a big ball runner that could offload like Karevi in at 12. Would you consider the idea of moving Hunter Paisami to 12 and put Chris Fireway Sotia at 13, where he is covered before, with the idea that maybe your future centres are Hunter Paisami and Jordan Patea at 12 and 13? And you have these two quite agile bullocking centres, which cover maybe for slightly smaller backs, whether that's Jock Campbell at 15 or Isaac Lucas at 15 or Dalgunu on the wing. I, I was actually, it. I was thinking yeah. the same thing. Actually, I it was a strange thought that came into my mind because I've seen 
even the way that Karevi and Feiwei Saltier combined for a, a you know significant period of time in the past, um, when you had um, when you had Patea on the wing, um, Paisami isn't a huge guy, but he brings so much intensity and force to his hits. Um, he's not the size of someone like Karevi, but he kind of makes that impact. So I can see where you get that from. I still, yeah, I'm still probably of the opinion that Stewart's not going to be in that that top level backline in the long term. But interested to hear your thoughts as well there. I, I think he has his place for now. Like remember that Hunter Paisami wasn't in this team as a starter. He was really a fringe fringe bench guy initially, and he's been brought in. Uh, understandably with Patea being out and I think has performed very well. It might just be, maybe it hasn't been considered because it's too much too soon and in reality, Hamish Stewart's actually you know a relatively senior guy in the back line. It also depends what Brad Thorne's after, whether whether he thinks he can reproduce the Samu Karevi role in, in 12 or if he's maybe uh, thinks his team needs a bit more of a second pivot because obviously we've seen Hamish Stewart play Fullback, fly half, twelve. He he can do those. He, he has that utility factor, and and if you uh, if you think you needed it and you want a second one on the field, admittedly, I don't think he's playing like that. So maybe that's not the intention. Um, maybe it's a defensive structure type thing. I, I think he has his place for now, but it's it's good forward thinking. I like that we're talking, you know, longer term for this team. Uh, if they if that's the style they want, if they want the Samu Karevi model back. I think Hunter Paisami's probably got the best chance at being that guy at twelve. The other, the other thing I wouldn't mind seeing would be O'Connor at twelve, and Isaac Lucas starting at ten. And you probably lose a bit defensively by doing that. But I would really like to see the combination that Lucas, O'Connor, and Paisami could make. And this is all on the basis that Jordan Bataille isn't going to be back for the Super Rugby season, which I think is accurate. I don't think he's going to make another appearance this year. Um, yeah, so we're yeah. not actually factoring in what it's going to look like maybe in the next three years because you don't have a key piece there. You don't have someone who's definitely going to make up um, probably one of the centres in, in your future backline. I don't think you're going to see him long-term on the wing, Jordan Patel. I think he's a 13. And so then you've got to look at where you're actually going to be able to put Hunter Paisami in the long term. So before we move on, um, let's talk a bit more in depth about these Sharks. Um, obviously, their tour is now done. They now get to go back to South Africa um, and between there and a quick trip to BA and is the rest of their year. So very strong position to um, be coming back into. And like you say, Toby, earlier, like the group of forwards isn't the biggest names, but they're getting things done. And I have to sh- give a big shout out um, to, uh, I'm going to butcher this name, but uh, Shikumbuzo Noche, um, mm, the no, number eight, number like, eight. is just, he's come from over from the Stormers, and I think he's putting a fair claim to that Springboks number eight jersey, because Dwayne Vermeulen obviously isn't around there in Super Rugby, and I'm unsure whether they're going to bring him back for the international season, but... Noche just seems dynamic. You saw him breaking tackles and setting up um, wingers uh, on the weekend. Um, he, he likes to drift out wide to those wider channels. And he's a guy that was just as aggressive in defense as well as in attack. Yeah, he impressed me as well. 
um, was definitely one of the most penetrating runners for the Sharks. Funnily enough, I think it's just because he's a slightly leaner frame. He, at times, coming out of the backfield, whether he was back there to help um, catch and return kicks or otherwise, he, he he initially struck me like a like the um, fullback fussy or even one of the wingers, like just sort of ranging out, um, outflanking guys uh, on the run, which, you know, that says a lot for his pace and then his offload and his, his vision there to, to find the supporting players as well was all really impressive. So, uh, has he always been a has he always been an eight or has he played a bit of six as well? He sort of looks a bit more like a, a South African six for being a bit leaner in the in the um, body. But I think he's always played eight from what I've seen. But just looking at his his stats here, he's not a big guy. He's only like six one hundred kilos, so not your traditional um, big ball carrying number eight. But he's, yeah. he gets through a mountain of work and maybe a bit more similar to someone like Pete Samu. Like they look like they're different body shapes, but actually, if you look at their height, weight, statistics, they're pretty much identical. Um, so yeah, you're right. They could be. He could be someone who could play open side as well. But I think he spent most of his time at number eight. Yeah, no, he was he was very impressive. Again, a, a pack of forwards who are to us relative no names for the most part. Guys we're not that familiar with. Who a lot of change this season with however many Duplice, uh, Dupree's brothers not attending uh, at, at the Sharks this year with Dad. Um, that that was a really impressive performance. They they definitely work well as a unit. Uh, they disrupted the Reds' line out. They were competitive at the scrum at times. I think they definitely found their, found their strength against the weaker Reds' scrum as the subs came mm. on. Um, you know, the strong mall, they, they broke up the Reds' mall a couple of times when they thought they were going to push through for a try, they they were just you know really good intensity across the eight, which is something which if if you haven't got the star power um, and the individual standouts, then it's definitely you know your success is going to come through a, an aligned team effort, and and that's what they've been uh, demonstrating so far this season. Well, what you probably don't realise is they did actually rest a few people like. Um, their traditional number seven, Tyler Paul, um, was out. They had Mapimpi on the sideline running water, just being rested, which made a massive difference because Mvovo dropped a couple of passes when he was in a lot of space and Mapimpi would have made a lot more work out of that. So impressive to see that their structures sort of hold um, despite moving some people in and out. Um, but yeah, definitely... Definitely going to be tough now that they're they're back on home turf for a fair while. Let's quickly look at the Six Nations before we go on to the next round of Super Rugby. And obviously no games on the weekend. Um, This is something that's been hit again with coronavirus, fear, panic. And they're looking at potentially postponing some of the games. The Ireland-Italy game is... Um, confirmed to be postponed, though they haven't said exactly when they're going to try and fit these in, uh, and whether these other games are going to take a hit as well. But let's just take it that these games will get played. We have Ireland, Italy um, out of Dublin. We have England hosting Wales in Twickenham. Wales being struck, especially in their back three, multiple injuries um, with people like... uh, Adams out, Liam Williams still didn't play on the weekend. George North under concussion risk, though it looks like he's back training. Um, I think 
Um, Amos, which was one of their sort of reserve wingers, also injured. Um, Halfpenny's really their only sort of frontline back three player that's healthy at the moment. So tough going for Wales. And then Scotland hosting uh, the only unbeaten team in the Six Nations, France, up at Murrayfield. What's your, what's your call for these these games, boys? Um, look, I think France. Hopefully, this this coronavirus kind of these disruptions doesn't have any potential to derail France's Grand Slam chances. But at the moment, they're looking hot. They're looking kind of hungry for the the wins, and I'm really enjoying watching them. In terms of the other games, Ireland, Italy. I think look, Italy's not going to win this, particularly in Dublin. Whenever this goes ahead, Ireland should take care of business. Um, probably the closest game in this round, England versus Wales at Twickenham. Pretty big match up here, even though Wales are probably out of contention for winning the Six Nations this year. They always um, they always bring a good performance at Twickenham. Um, it's going to be a pretty aggressive affair. I'd still be taking England. I think they're a tier above at the moment. I think Eddie Jones has got this team back on track. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see some of these big names come back in. Tuolangi, hopefully, in the centres. Um, and the Vunapola brothers may be there at loose head and number eight. So England still hitting their straps. I think they're, they're looking good. Um, and in the last game, Scotland-France. Look, I think France have enough to do it up there in Murrayfield. Always tough to play up there. But you'd have to think with the momentum they've got, they should continue rolling against the Scotland team that probably, again, isn't on the same level as, say, Ireland, England and France. Yeah, I agree with those tips. Um, I'm a bit surprised that they're as worried for the Ireland-Italy game being that it's in Dublin. Um, I can understand if it was a home-Italy game that they might be a little bit concerned being Italy's current state of uh, infection. There's a bit of a hot spot there, but... They've got to be worried that the players may be carrying it. I don't know. It's um, mm-hmm. players, fans coming out. It's pretty to extreme. Ireland. It's just yeah, yeah. It, not encouraging that travel. I guess between yeah. those two countries, there's a fair bit of uh, resistance and, and hesitation about any large public gatherings. So yeah, I guess that's just the way that they could be in the next little while. But I, I also trust Ireland to do the work wherever, whenever this is. Um, I, I think England against a slightly uh, beaten up Wales side, I, I agree, at home will be too strong. I, I actually d- I don't know if Wales will get up as much for this one. I, I feel like they might feel like it's bridged too far, particularly if they uh, fall away early in the game. And it would take a good old-fashioned Le Bleu uh, self-destruct uh, to, to stuff up this Scottish game. I think they'll comfortably have the Scots up in Murrayfield, even even with the travel. I agree with that. So we're all in agreement with those three. Um, speaking of the virus, obviously, um, postponing and moving some games, it really brings us to week six of the Super Rugby, uh, where we've heard that the Sunwolves, they've been on tour for a couple of weeks, and it's going to be a couple of weeks before they go back home as well because uh, they've had their game that was set for Osaka this weekend versus the Brumbies. Um, moved to Wollongong to be played with a double header um, in conjunction with the Waratahs Chiefs game, and then their game next week moved to Suncorp to be played with a double header with the Reds game as well. Good for you, Leo. Must be absolutely frothing. Rubbing my hands out. with glee. 
Yep, absolutely. So I'll be getting to all of those games. Well, sorry, both games in Wollongong <laughs> this Friday. Uh, it's quite an early start, so make sure you get tips in on time. Unlike a couple of us this weekend who overlooked the early Saturday game, this is a 2:45 uh, Australian time kickoff for the Brumbies Sunwolves. Then you have the uh, Crusaders versus the Reds in Christchurch, filling the void between the Chiefs Waratahs game and the second of the doubleheader. So, uh, oh, it's awesome! But Wollongong rarely gets uh, Super Rugby uh, or even any. Um, you know, you don't get any shoot shield games. You don't tend to even get NRC from memory. So uh, it's great to have two really decent games. It'd be a great game, Waratahs versus Chiefs, if they stick their form from from last week. And I, I don't get to see the Brumbies play in person very often either. So very excited to see them come out, hopefully full strength against the Sunwolves, not putting out a second string side and, and taking any chances there. bit disappointing that they this game's on so early, though I'd... I think a lot of people are going to be stuck at work. I mean, 2.45 on a Friday seems a little bit too too early for mine, but I guess they're trying to fit in the game before the Crusaders game so it doesn't clash in terms of the, the televising rights there. But it would have been nice to have it, say, I don't know, 5 p.m. or something, and then the next one at 7.30 or 8 o'clock. But what can you do? Without knowing exactly what the program is, it's possible that there's a... Um... A he- the headline game, Chiefs-Waratahs, there might be a, a pre-game match as well. There might be a local or a women's game. I haven't looked into it yet. We'll be getting some tickets sorted out in the next day or so. But, yeah, I guess it's already been disruptive taking the Sunwolves and Brumbies away from Tokyo and, and to Wollongong. Um, so I guess moving the Crusaders to an earlier slot and playing the Brumbies back-to-back with the Tars, maybe maybe that was the decision there, but... Regardless, mm. I'll take it. I'll uh, I'll be getting getting away from work a bit early on Friday and and making sure I'm there, ready to go. Two forty five for kickoff. Yeah, not every day you get Brumbies Tars in the same city playing different teams. Pretty amazing. Yeah, I've only got one jersey to wear too, so I don't have to wear one under the other. <laughs> so do Brumbies put on another sixty points uh, for the third week in a row against the Sunwolves? It's possible. I think they're capable of it. They're not maybe quite as uh, dynamic as certainly the Hurricanes, um, but certainly, you know, I expect this to be a pretty high score, and it'll be if the Sunwolves, I suppose, find some um, motivation to, you know, stiffen up their defence that obviously has let them down the last two weeks. Um, but the Brumbies are a pretty reasonable attacking outfit. I don't think they'll be held to, you know, less than 30. I think they'll be piling on the points as well. I mean, having Solomon Okata on the wing there, he's going to create havoc, I think. Tom Banks, who knows, could get a hat-trick. Um, if the Brumbies put out a full-strength team here, I think it's going to be a bit of a demolition again. Yeah, I have to agree. I think I think Brumbies more than easily um, put, put 60 points on. I just wonder whether the Sunwolves are going to start to feel a little bit disheartened um with a couple of weeks of this um and it's tough not knowing where where you're gonna when you're gonna get to go home all of that and the forecast at the moment is for a fairly wet week here in Wollongong and that's going to carry through into Friday so hopefully that doesn't keep the fans Uh, away and hopefully it yeah hopefully it dries out enough that the the field isn't the the field there at Wynn Stadium's drains pretty well I don't think it gets too too boggy there being near the beach but um, yeah, look, if it's a dry affair, I think it'd be good open running rugby. 
that you can expect 50-plus points between the two teams. And uh, I think the Brumbies will definitely pile it on. Line here's 29 points. Just just for reference, Brumbies by 29 at the moment. Take it. Yeah. 29. Take it. Take yeah, it. Sure. I, um, I, I reckon there, um, there's a good chance if it is wet that Falau Fainga ends up with two or three as well because they'll be going to that set piece and just mauling it up, keeping it keeping True. it in the hands of the forwards and, and piling it on in the corner there. So Trying to know, stay atop for, of that uh, Super Rugby try score is listed for, the, for another season. Yeah. Particularly because he's had three weeks off as well after missing the last game against the Chiefs. He'll be really keen to get back on the scoreboard. That's right. Mumps finally setting down, settling down for the Brumbies, let's hope. Um, Crusaders and Reds out of Canterbury. Um, obviously, Crusaders, they're still sitting on top of the New Zealand Conference. Um, the Reds sitting near the bottom still um, in the Australian Conference. But we've seen it in South Africa. The Reds do... Um, play well even on tour, even in these places that are, are difficult to win. Um, are they going to give the Crusaders a bit of a run for their money? I feel like at the the start of the game, this could be a close one, but I think the Crusaders will run away with it. I would take them by a dozen or so. Hopefully the Reds really bring a lot of physicality, but Crusaders having the week off with the bye there, I think they'll be well-rested, they'll be ready in... Look, with such a well-put-together team, a well-drilled you know, drilled squad, I think the Crusaders would take down anyone at the moment. Um, so, yeah, don't hold a lot of hopes for the Reds getting a win here. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm, I'm not keeping my hopes too high. Um, the Reds have played strongly away from home already this season. Like they, they did put on 20 against the Lions and just go down there over in South Africa and then uh, the following week put 27 on. Uh, in in South America, but to to play the Crusaders at home, I suppose they're going to be under no illusions. This is a very strong team, very hard to beat at home. Uh, Brad Thorne will know the the insides of of that mentality down there in Christchurch, and and I'm sure he'll prep them well. I'd like to see them, um, you know, stay very competitive and be very physical, like you said, Toby, just to uh, really put it to the Crusaders. You never know, like if a few things break the right way get the odd um, pass going to ground and, and turning over quickly. That The Reds certainly have the attacking chops to capitalise on that, but it's very hard to tip the Crusaders at ho- uh, tip against the Crusaders at home. So I think I'll be taking them by, by, a, by a small margin just because I believe in the Reds. Um, I, think, I think they'll try and keep it close. I think, I think the Reds set up, if they keep it um, within the forwards, keep it tight. I think they have the forwards to trouble the Crusaders, but... Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to hold hold back this um, back line of the Crusaders. And also, the back row of the Crusaders seems to be improving every week with the youngsters, sort of Cullen Grace and Tom Sanders there, and Tom Christie. Um, so that's going to be something to try and try and control for the Reds' um, back, back row as well. Um, third game of Friday. So it is strange having three games and three Australian teams all playing on Friday, but... It's the double header, as Leo said. Waratahs hosting the Chiefs, and the Waratahs obviously um, getting their first win. They'll they'll be hoping to keep the momentum going and trying to um, beat a dangerous, dangerous Chiefs team. I think we we didn't talk too much to it because it wasn't our game of the round. But I think Will Harrison really stepped up this week. I like the way he was playing with not not so much like a carefree attitude, but it was very much a you know, some 
some more risks are worth taking. Um, they didn't all come off, but it just shows the potential that he's got that um, that vision to to throw a few offloads and throw a few uh, great passes and cut guys out at the right time. I, I want to see more of that from him, and I think that's going to suit playing against this Chiefs team who are you know good on the counterattack, very dynamic when they get the ball out wide. They've got guys like McKenzie challenging the line, you know, stepping, running flat, ducking through gaps. So um, they're, they're probably going to... You might even see the Waratahs playing in a similar way uh, to the Chiefs in that sense, wanting to really take the line and challenge the flanks. Um, I think the, the Chiefs will definitely bring everything they've got. They should have a full-strength side. Um, they've, they've had a funny week where I didn't think Aaron Cruden was particularly impressive, but... Uh, if he's shaken that off, I think the Waratahs might have a, a bit too much to handle, even at, at this away-from-home game. Hopefully they feel at home here in friendly old Wollongong, but I think the Chiefs are probably going to have their measure. But I'm, I'm tipping a close one because, again, I, I believe the Waratahs can, can keep pace. I just think the, the maturity of the Chiefs will, will get them in the end. I think something that I was just really impressed with uh, last week for the the Tars at least was their handling and their their support play. I think you know the way they moved the ball, the offloads that they had, mm. just you know something that really struck me is it was coming together for them. They they really were playing for each other, and there was always someone there to take the next pass. And I I think that's something that you really need, particularly against a Chiefs team that does the same thing. Although Chiefs had the buy as well. Well rested again, coming over probably early to train in Australia, and I think the Brumbies have probably done the Tars a bit of a disservice here, dislodging the Chiefs over in in Hamilton a couple of weeks ago. The Chiefs are going to be hungry and fired up to get a bit of revenge over an Australian team. Um, Tars again playing in a new venue. Look, I'm glad that they're getting around New South Wales and to see them in Wollongong at a, a pretty interesting stadium to play at I think is a great thing but they're not going to feel probably too at home in terms of home field advantage I think the Chiefs have the capacity to score a lot of points um the Tars front up like they did last week I think they're a chance but um Chiefs are pretty classy so I'm pretty wary to actually tip the Tars I think probably the Chiefs are gonna get them by maybe seven to ten points in the end how about um, big Angus Bell this week, the the young prop showing his speed, um, big man, but showing a bit of footwork, bit of speed, and not only for the first try, but um, had a couple of little breakaways and was finding himself out in the back line a few times. Hopefully we see a little bit more of that. He was really impressive again, and look, I think he's locked down that, that loose head spot for the Tars, and he's looking like a real prospect long-term for Australian prop stocks, and Keeping Tom Robertson out of a, a starting spot, which is disappointing, I think it'd be lovely if Tom Robertson was a tight head and we could have him on the other side. I think Harry Johnson-Holmes is doing a, a decent job, but we're probably still lacking a real high-class tight head prop there at, at the Tars. And, mm. um, yeah, like, I don't think um, Tatera Faulkner's the answer either, but these guys are, are playing better than they, they have in previous weeks. I think they are gaining some form. Yeah, I really like Angus Bell as well. Um, and I agree. I wish I wish we had a stronger front row as a whole. Um, not to not to derail us too much, but does anyone think Robbie Abel is really standing out in in his role there as the starting hooker? Oh, he's coming I, back I, for his Fitzpatrick love. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not really going to bat for him either because I haven't seen a lot from him. But 
Robbie Abel's come in as as the starter. He's displaced the incumbent who was very consistent last year in the set piece. Um, again, not a star performer, really, like not a standout, but very, very hardworking. I, I don't know if I'm seeing that same amount from from Robbie Abel. He's just, I don't know. I think he, he tends to go missing at times. I think he probably be, brings overall a bit more physicality, but... Yeah, I don't think he has the consistency. I think Fitzpatrick overall, probably a better ball-playing hooker, um, more consistent in the line-out. Maybe it's in scrum time around the field in terms of physical dominance in defense. I think probably Abel has him in that respect. But both guys that aren't particularly impressive at this stage of the season. And again, I think, yeah, like it's it's not it's not something that we should be too... Um, proud of in terms of our hooking performances this year. No one's really stepped up. Yeah, I'd, I'd just really like to see if Robbie Abel's going to be the starter. I want to see a bit more out of him. And I've already talked uh, previous pods about the second row. I think it's really disappointing. Mm. I think those are the key key parts of the, the Tars side now that the backs have found a bit of creativity and a bit of cohesion. We really need to see that engine room get going. And I think that's going to be the, the primary factor that holds the Waratahs back, particularly in these big contests. If, if those guys aren't stepping up, um, Rob Simmons is the invisible man at captain. Like w- These guys need to have a big showing in these big games. So I hope they do because uh, we, it'd be lovely to, to knock the Chiefs over on their tour. Let's just give a big up to Hooper again as well. Like He's been massive this year and real standout for the Tars. And I think actually Dempsey and, and Swinton are stepping up now as well. So I think these guys are actually starting to realise how they can play and the potential they have and gaining some confidence. So hopefully the performances keep increasing for, for a Chiefs team that's it's pretty hot and, um, yeah, they're going to put them under a lot of pressure. There's mm. heaps of room in the Waratahs pack for someone to stand up and stand out. Like, Hooper's doing all the work. Um, yeah, like you said, Swinton needs wouldn't to mind, keep his head. Dempsey, wouldn't mind seeing McCauley there in the second yeah. row, maybe. Yeah, I think McCauley showed some good hands to set up that try um, to debutant James Ram on the weekend as well. Um, Unfortunately, though, I think the Chiefs forwards, they're they're similar in the fact that they have a smaller forward pack and a dynamic forward pack, but I think they're just um, position for position are going to be able to outplay a lot of these Waratahs players. Um, So I am thinking that the Chiefs take this one on the road by probably 10 points. Um, the next game, which I'm going to pitch to you boys, should be our deep dive next week, uh, is the Hurricanes hosting the Blues coming back from their tour. Obviously, Canes, as expected, put on some big points against that Sunwolves team. While the Blues, um, a bit of a shock story, um, continue to win um, every road game of the year while not being able to win at home. So, two in South Africa, um, winning in Newcastle versus the Tars. Um, but losing at home against fellow sort of country teams, the Chiefs and the Crusaders. What do you think they're going to be able to do um, coming back from South Africa for this one? I think the Hurricanes are probably comfortable favourites in my mind, uh, being that they're at home, they've just had a big win. We know they've got a really elite uh, set of backs, uh, and I think the forwards probably match up pretty well with the Blues. Blues coming back from tour, we'd, we'd like to see them... Um, probably get a bit more of a rest before they have to face up a, an opponent away from home. But that, as it is, they're, they're going to have to keep keep the energy up and try and find something to beat a, the uh, North Island rivals in the, the Hurricanes. I, I don't think they're going to have it, but it'll be a very interesting game 
because I think this Blues team has found another level this year, and and uh, yeah, and it'd be good good to break it down and see if they can stay in the contest for eighty minutes, maybe even get away with a win. Yeah, I mean, two two teams that have been playing relatively well in recent times um, down there in the Cape Tin. Blues coming back from Cape Town. I think travel will come into to to play here because it's it's tough coming back from a two game, even if it is successful road trip. Um, stepping up against a Canes team that's been firmly in New Zealand um, and putting a lot of points on the Sunwolves that'll give them confidence. Um, I don't think they're going to read too much into that game though. I think it'll be a close one though. I'm not going to take the Canes by a runaway score here, but I think maybe by five points or so, the Canes should be able to, to get it done against the Blues. Though I think it's going to be, it could be a really high scoring and entertaining game <clears throat> based on these two back lines and uh, Rico Iwani showing some good form there at 13 for the Blues. Mm. I'm actually thinking I'm going to tip the upset on this one, guys. Um the Blues, especially in the forwards, they, they're they coming into their own a little bit more. Obviously, Patrick Tuopolotu has been leading from the front. They've had this back row of sort of Papa Lee, Gibson, people around there um, that's, that continually do do a lot to help them. And then Tuinka Vaki, um, James Parsons in the front row, getting back to full fitness to their best form as well. Um, I really like the look of um, Satutu Hoskins, the, the young number eight that's keeping... Um, Akira Yuani out, out of his starting role. Um, you may see Akira get back onto the bench in this game. Obviously, didn't travel with the team. But putting those together, I think Sam Knox doing great things from nine as well, and Atiri Black. Um, I like him at 10, and I really like what Perifet is doing from 15. So, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that the Blues are going to take it, um, maybe only by two or three points. But I reckon they, they have the artillery now. They can not only... Uh, put together the attack, but they can they can hold back um, some of this Hurricanes um, sort of flying big men. It's hard to take them though, isn't it, Arch? When you got Geordie Barrett, perhaps uh, TJ Perinara and Nani Laomapi there floating out wide, like lots of high octane rugby behind those mm. three. The only one that really scares me out of that though is um, TJ. Like TJ is the biggest threat. I think the Hurricanes have in terms of setting up plays like La Marpi, I have faith that TJ Fiani can handle Marpi at 12 and give a bit of help to Terry Black like on his inside Geordie like he's I don't know I just don't have the same fandom or belief that Geordie's just going to spark something from anywhere I think the likes of Riku Iwani uh, Marchant on the wing and Talea who's had like the most sort of meters and most like line breaks for anyone in the competition before the weekend. Um, I'm not sure if he still manages to hold that title now, but they've been doing a lot and they're big men as well. They, they can shut you down. Yeah. My only concern, I guess with the Canes is at number 10, do they have it enough direction there at 10 or is there too much on TJ Perinara's shoulders? Exactly. Um, I wouldn't worry too much about the rest of the back line. I think, you know, you've got Ben Lamb, Vinsaso, um, you know, a few guys that come in scrubs to the team in and out of the team. I don't know. These these guys have been around for quite a few years, and I think they they know how each other play. And the Blues are a bit more fresh. 
they play someone like Harry Plummer at 12, no chance. They're but not going to do that Yeah, again. if they get TJ Fayani, TJ Fayani, and got to decide, is Rico playing 13 or He's is 13 Marshawn now. there at 13? But Joe Marshawn was playing well at 13. It's, it's interesting they swapped them around. He's got a try on the wing, though. He did, he did. Um, Blues, look, Blues are coming into form. I like it. I think they've deserved their last two wins, and I, I hope that they can actually bring that um, back home and actually get some good performances at Eden Park as well. All right, Rebels, Lions. Lions, obviously, just second game into this tour. Going down to the Tars, they were pretty disappointed with that, with their performance there. Um, Rebels, obviously, putting together um, a couple of sort of good performances now. Tamua, everyone sort of agreed, was quite um, game-changing coming back into that team and really leading from the front. Um, down there at, at Forsyth Bar, I think I think the Rebels might be able to take another one at home here. I don't think the Lions are going to be the team that's going to travel that well. Yeah, I think the Lions are going to have another tough assignment. Um, this is probably the one they expected would be tougher after the the Rebels have been, uh, sorry, after the Waratahs have been very up and down, uh, mostly down. But uh, the Rebels seem to have found that little bit of cohesion and understanding that. Back line, including Tom English, seems to be firing a bit better. Back to that old combination there in the centres, which which has performed well in the past. I don't think the Lions have a lot of puff. I, I actually expected a lot more of them last week, and they didn't bring it. And I don't know that that'll be uh, necessarily motivation. I think it's probably just going to be too long a tour. I'm gonna I'm gonna back the Rebels here. They've they've shown a bit of form. I, I'm gonna start believing. I I haven't tipped them yet, but I'm gonna I'm gonna have them by probably a, a try or so in this match. Very nice. Are you back on? Are you back on the Rebels, Arch? I know you don't have your shorts there, but you you feeling the Rebels' love? Yeah, um, I'm taking them. Toby, boys, I think this is a, a danger game for the Rebels for sure. But I'm going to take them as well. I think the Lions are feisty. They're not the team they were, as we know, but they still always challenge you. And I think that even purely having someone like Scoom in there just upsets most teams and. Rebels looking like they're playing with some confidence now, which is a nice change, particularly given the players they have. If they trot out a, a similar team that they did against the Highlanders, look, I think they can get it done down in Melbourne. I think they'll they'll keep that momentum and keep a you know another Australian win, which is I think we're we're starting to queue up some good wins here, boys, particularly overseas. So I hope they bring this back to Melbourne. Yeah, it's it's exciting to see especially because we're we're taking wins against overseas opposition not just off each other which is has been the way for the past couple of years um now this is a game that's probably going to be another pretty a bit of a blockbuster uh sharks hosting the haguaras um down there at durban obviously sharks coming home so on the travel while the hags have been in uh south africa for a couple of weeks um what do you reckon, Tobes? You're the highest on the Sharks. Do you think that um, they'll be able to dispatch um, this Hakuwaras team? No, I think I think the Jags have the advantage here. I think coming off a game against the Bulls, which they won relatively comfortably, they didn't probably bring their best performance either. But, um, look, I think they'd probably target this game based on how the Sharks have been playing. And resting those guys two weeks ago... Um, against the Stormers may even just come to pay off here. I think they'll be fresh. I think they'll be ready to go getting down to Durban nice and early and 
Sharks, although three out of four, really nice on tour. They're coming back to play the Jags, the Stormers, and then the Chiefs. Really tough run next three games. Hard to keep that um, that mental focus, I think, for the coming off su- such a successful tour. Um, I think the Chags are going to probably upset them here. The Chags, the Jags, or the Hags? The Jags. The Jags, not the Jaguares. Not I the Hags. The Jags for a second. Makes me, every right. time you guys say that, it makes the me think Hag-u-ales. of like an, some weird old woman. The Hags. No, um, interestingly, my first take on this game was, was to have the Sharks at home. Um, I think they've demonstrated that they're a pretty solid side. I don't think they're carrying too many significant injuries. They might have had... Um, they might have had a bit of a knock around to Kerwin Bosch. I think he was a bit a bit weary looking by the end of that game uh, against the Reds. But uh, also, Farsi, I don't know how much... Farsi got drilled by Hunter Farsami, did you see it? Yeah, yeah well, he, was he not... slammed him. That'll happen. <laughs> um, That'll happen. But you look, at, you look at who they played. So on their tour, they played the Highlanders, the Hurricanes, the Rebels and the Reds. Most of those teams aren't really top-line opposition. Admittedly, I, th- I think the Reds can be, but you know we've already gone through that game. The Rebels they they beat pretty comfortably. I think the the scoreline closed on that one a bit late in the game as well. They lost to the Hurricanes, who are a established class side. So they've done a great job on tour, but they probably haven't played the the best of the best. The Hagiwaras, uh, having already been established in South Africa, as you've said, they've been there for a while now. They're not going to be playing at altitude. They've probably prepared. Uh, a bit more for this game by uh, giving their guys a bit of a rotation. Um, look, the, they've also lost to a couple of strong sides. So this one, I think, could go either way. I think I'm going to go with the home side. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to be close. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. Yeah, it's going to be, I reckon, a, a good game to watch and another good game. Um, there's quite a few this week and that are just going to be Absolute must-sees, I think. Um, I'm going with you, Toby. I think the the Jags, as you um, have said, I think they they seem to be a team that's able to sort of counteract that sort of rush defense that comes together. And they, they have a team that um, is just multi-talented in terms of working into open play and lots of different options in terms of kicking um, and in terms of the way they play, and they do do that sort of second-man play to get behind the defence quite well. Um, last game of the round, we have the Bulls hosting the Highlanders, and I think the Bulls are going to get off the, the donut. I think they're going to get their first win of the year here at home against um, what looks to be the the weakest New Zealand team in the Highlanders. Yeah, agreed. Give me the Bulls, I think. They have enough. They showed enough against the Jags. Mornay Stain directing them around. Guys like Halant out wide, um, Hendricks. They still have some try-scoring power there. Um, Highlanders travelling. Just yet to find their feet. Consistency. They just struggle a little bit, I think, in terms of their depth with this team. Um, losing their, their number seven, is it Lenchies? Yep. To a pretty number significant and, leg and, injury. And captain. And captain, I think that's a big blow for them as well. Um, they have some young talent in their team. Um, some guys like, what's his name at number six? It's um, Ben Nicholas. Good player. Um, I think they got some raw talent there in their team. They're just yet to really bring it all together as a unit. I think the Bulls have enough um, veterans 
kind of scattered throughout this team to get the win up at the altitude at Pretoria and get off the mark for the season. Also, I see the logic in, in all that. Um, the Highlanders, though, I, I think they are still got that bit of surprise package in them, and this is this is my upset of the round. I think the Highlanders will beat the Bulls away. I think they'll do do a lot with a little, as they usually do. Minimal, minimal um, possession will be what the Bulls try and put on them, but I think they'll still manage to put on some points, and... If they can, if they can keep the Bulls at bay, and they're just going to kick penalties like they have most of the matches we've seen so far, I think the Highlanders can break out and score a couple of tries and, and get ahead in this one. So I'm going to take the Highlanders. Well, there you go. Attention. Definitely, yeah, definitely some lack of consensus uh, among our experts here at the Running Rugby Podcast. So um, be be a very interesting one to check out what's going um, on in Week Six when we come back next week. Bit of a preview we will also be looking at a way too early wallabies team uh next week where the boys will be making their picks of who they think is going to make up the 15 players that dave rennie's going to get starting um for the wallabies once we get to the end of this um extended super rugby season obviously don't have those june internationals anymore so we'll have to wait a little bit longer to see the results but very excited to see who you boys pick and put into put into a revamped team. Tate McDermott. Yeah, yeah, I reckon it's it's never too early to speculate in in all sorts of wacky ways. It'll be very interesting to see what what we see developing from from only six rounds. It's definitely too early, but it, it's it's fun to speculate and see what what we think will happen. Um, there's a lot of young guys getting around Super Rugby now. Uh, a lot of change in every team. A lot of opportunity for people to make their mark. So, can't wait, Arch. I just want to say that I love the Waratahs and I hope they play well again because it makes me sad when they lose. That's <laughs> all I have to say. Toby's it was been nice to have them for about you. three years now. They just have good players. They've got Maddox, they've got KB, they've got Dempsey. They've got all these guys I like. And when it all comes together, it's just so nice. It's just so nice. So infrequent. There you go. Some heartfelt honesty from one of our top rugby analysts there in Toby Hughes all the way in the Northern Hemisphere where it's it's not the English weather that depresses him, it's the Waratahs play that does so. Anyway, guys, it's been another pretty long one. Thanks for staying along with us for the ride. We're all going a little bit nuts here anyway. Um, I think we'll leave it there. Make sure you are following us on Instagram at Twitter. Like we always say, make sure you've subscribed to us and recommend us to your friends as well. Um, Obviously a massive week ahead. Um, Until then, though, keep on running. Run. Zillion beers.